Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wharton Tech Talks. I'm Spandana. And I'm Cynthia. And we're the co-hosts for Wharton Tech Talks. Today, we are joined by Matt Idema, who was most recently VP of Business Messaging Group at Meta, and was most recently the Chief Operating Officer at WhatsApp. Prior to Meta, Matt held several senior leadership positions at Yahoo and was also the Vice President of Business Development at Yodli. He began his career as a strategy consultant at Accenture. He also holds a degree in engineering from the University of Michigan and an MBA from the Wharton School. Matt, we're so thrilled to host you on the podcast today. We know you have been a longtime supporter of entrepreneurial initiatives at Wharton and can't wait to dive into your insights. To start, could you share a bit more about your career trajectory? We noticed that you joined the technology industry in the 90s when you left Accenture to join Yodli. What inspired you to pursue a career in technology? Certainly, and thank you both for having me today. Let's see, if I go back to the very beginning, as you mentioned, my degree undergrad was in mechanical engineering, and I did an internship my junior year and the thing I learned in that internship was that I did not want to be a mechanical engineer. So I got a job in consulting and a lot of what businesses were trying to figure out at that time was how to leverage technology. And a lot of that technology was software and most of that software was being written in Silicon Valley. So I'd been spending years trying to help insurance companies, banks, telecommunications companies with giant software initiatives and I realized that if this was really an industry or a business I wanted to have a career in, that I needed to get out to ground zero, which was Silicon Valley. So I had the opportunity to do that after a handful of years at Accenture and jumped right into the deep end of the pool and just started a company with some ex-Microsoft engineers that I had come across on a project, and that was Yodli. Oh, amazing. And if you just kind of fast forward to now, you were most recently leading business messaging at Meta. So could you tell us more about your last role and what your team focused on? Yeah. So the business messaging effort at Meta, if you pay attention to Meta's earnings calls, you've heard Mark mention it a few times over the last year. Meta's core business and its driver of its success has been the news feeds or the feed-based consumption of Facebook and Instagram. And we've been working to figure out, all right, well, what is the right way for people and businesses to interact in messaging apps? And whether that be Messenger, Instagram Direct, or WhatsApp, and how do we create a model there where people are getting value talking to businesses, businesses are getting value communicating with their customers, and businesses can pay to get more value from Meta. And That's really what that group's charter has been. The connection to WhatsApp is when I joined WhatsApp as COO back in 2017, it was still very much almost a startup. I mean, it had been acquired by Facebook at the time, but it was a company of less than 200 people, most of them engineers or customer support folks answering tickets, didn't really have a business model figured out and therefore didn't have a marketing team, a business development team, a partnerships team, or a sales team. So over the course of working to figure those things out at WhatsApp, one of the things we also figured out was, okay, if we found a business model that can work for WhatsApp, can that work for the other messaging apps? So that's where we are in that journey. As we, you know, we figured some things out at WhatsApp that were working, we figured some things out at Messenger that were working, and then we brought them together in this business messaging group. Great. That sounds super entrepreneurial. And in fact, you know, since you bring up 
I guess, the synergies between messaging as well as WhatsApp. I was actually reading a fascinating stat that a billion people use Meta's messaging services per week to communicate either with a business or a service. And like you mentioned in the last earning call, Meta executives have been talking about how business messaging will be the next major pillar of Meta's business. So could you share more about how you are thinking of growing and monetizing business messaging? Sure. Well, there's two ways that we're going to do that. And before I get into those, it might make sense to just share the philosophy around how leaders at Meta have approached finding business models for the various consumer experiences that the company produces. We always try and find what we call organic product market fit first, which is what is the natural interaction that a person wants to have with a business that also can create value for that business. And when we find that and we see it scaling, then we move on to, okay, how do we help the business pay to get more of that value? And a good example is when I first joined Facebook, we worked on Facebook pages, but actually that product hadn't been launched. What we found was small businesses were using their personal profiles to, and telling, you know, people in their local communities to like them on Facebook so they could share posts and updates about menu changes, for example. We created Facebook pages to give those business owners a professional tool, not just a personal tool to manage those interactions. And then what we found was they wanted to essentially buy ads to reach more people like the ones who had liked their page. And so that's a really good example of how the company thinks about monetization generally. And it's how we approached messaging. What we found was People really want to talk to businesses, especially small businesses, over messaging apps, particularly in parts of the world where messaging is the primary way that people use the internet, with WhatsApp being a great example. And so what we found was businesses want a presence on these messaging apps because their customers want them to be there. And so the organic value gets created just through users reaching out to message the business. And then the way that the business can scale that value is twofold. One is what we call ads that click to WhatsApp or click to message ads, which is now a $10 billion business for the company. And those are ads that run in Instagram or Facebook and the call to action is message me. And so those are working incredibly well, especially for smaller businesses. And the other monetization model is businesses can pay to message their customers directly. Those are the ways that the two models we're using when we talk about the messaging apps being the next pillar. Yeah, and I found it really interesting that you talked about the organic product market fit. And, you know, when we think about the suite of apps that Meta owns, are you seeing a difference in the types of business messaging that's happening on, say, a WhatsApp versus Instagram versus Messenger? We do. I think there are a lot of similarities. I think the things that are most similar is that When the business is on the platform, whether that be on Facebook with a page, on Instagram with a profile or a shop, or on WhatsApp with what we call just a WhatsApp business profile, that's the first step in each of those is I understand this app, I understand this platform as a business, and I have a presence there, and I'm already investing my time in it to engage with my customers in some way. And on Facebook, that follows kind of the way that we use Facebook as people. It's a page-driven model. You discover a page any number of ways. And people would much rather message a business over Facebook than Facebook Messenger than send them an email or call them. And the same is true for Instagram. You discover a brand you may really love on Instagram. 
you'd much rather DM them when they show a new product in a post or a story than email them or call them because you're just staying right in the app and the communication is super simple and native. It's native to the experience. And the same thing is true for WhatsApp, except that WhatsApp wasn't a social network first. It was a communication product first. So that's the primary difference between the three is that people tend to think of WhatsApp more like a phone network or a phone number driven experience where you're calling or texting a business versus, hey, I'm on Facebook or I'm on Instagram and I want to send this business a message. Got it. That's really interesting. And I guess that talks more about, you know, the mindsets that people have and that influences design choices that you're making in terms of how each of these experiences continue to develop. And just on that thought, we're also seeing similar trends such as not just messaging the business, but also conversational commerce emerge where full transactions are happening. I was reading up on it and it looks like there was a meta and BCG survey, especially in APAC that found that business messaging is now, it's become a baseline expectation in most APAC countries with you know Gen Z and millennials messaging businesses up to twice a week. Could you share more about conversational commerce as a trend and how are you seeing this shake out globally? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And you know we thought that study was really well done. You touched on a couple of really important points there. One is going back to the prior question. We use messaging apps every day. We use social media apps every day. And that's just kind of how we get through our day, talking to each other or checking in on friends and family or our interests. It is not natural to someone who is in Gen Z or potentially even in millennial generation, you know, to stop and switch over to email and try and send an email to a business or even worse, try and find the 1-800 number and call them. We want to use messaging. That's just the way we communicate. That has led to an expectation of the businesses that they be present on messaging. And that's certainly true in parts of the world like Latin America and Southeast Asia, where you know a lot of those individuals and businesses just skipped the desktop era altogether. And then the first experience they had on the internet was a messaging experience with a phone. So how does that relate to your question about conversational commerce? What it means is that that group of individuals, if they're starting off on messaging, they want to do everything on messaging. They want to get their questions answered on messaging. They want to shop using messaging and they want to buy using messaging. And so when we say conversational commerce, that's essentially what we mean is the entire, what we would call the e-commerce experience here in the US, they want that turned into a conversation. So for example, I would visit the Shopee experience on WhatsApp. I can see a catalog of items there. I can ask a question about the catalog item to either an automated experience or hand it off to a human where I can find out, is this color still available? I like this sweater. Where's the one you had last month? You know, that's the expectation now. And it goes beyond that, which is the item that they want uh, to purchase is available. They want to be able to make the purchase right in the messaging thread. So it's just that like messaging is so native to the way that we communicate with each other that is becoming the expectation that that's how you primarily communicate with a business. And it is a much better feeling, right? It is a much better feeling when you can message Shopee and they know who you are and that thread is always there and they know what you last purchased and you know to go there to get delivery notifications 
or updates about product drops. When you step back and think about it here in the US, it actually is quite an awesome personalized experience. And so we're incredibly bullish about conversational commerce and the vision there. It's going to take a while to get all the infrastructure in place, but we think it's got a ton of potential. Yeah, 100% agreed. And, you know, even if you think about shopping in the physical world, when you go into a shop, it's always, you know, you're always looking for trying to catch the attention of a sales rep, want to ask them questions, their opinion on what you're going to buy does inform your decision making process. So, you know, kind of bringing that over to the digital world through conversational commerce, especially using these apps that are now more natural to us, such as WhatsApp or a messenger. Now, that sounds like a pretty remarkable opportunity, and I can see why everyone at Meta is so bullish about that. Kind of building on that, Meta's operations are so diverse and they're spread all over the world. And, you know, like you mentioned, right, there's these different trends that are coming up in different geographies that require a more tailored approach. So I'm wondering if you could share more about differences in strategy that's adopted when you're scaling business messaging across different geographies. It's a great question. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have a business messaging group that's horizontal across these three apps, because they have different geographical footprints. You know, in Indonesia, for example, everyone's on WhatsApp all day. Same with Brazil. In parts of Europe, Messenger and Instagram Direct may be, you know, more prominently used. So we think about that upfront and we may look for innovation in each of the apps to uncover ideas that may start off in Instagram or in Messenger or in WhatsApp and get some traction. And then we look at them and we say, could this work globally? Because that's the best case scenario is we have an approach that can work globally because that's the most efficient way for us to scale. Because of that scale, it's the way that we can deliver the most value for people and for businesses. So while we may go to market in Brazil talking primarily about to businesses about WhatsApp and now's the time to be on WhatsApp and how to communicate with your customers on WhatsApp, that same set of underlying technology is working in Thailand and Vietnam for Messenger. That's super cool. And speaking of technologies that work globally, I think a lot of countries around the world are embracing more and more in automation. And in the chat context, we're really curious about your perspective on chatbots. On the one hand, automation makes things way more efficient. And on the other hand, chatbots can sometimes be a frustrating experience if you're not getting what you want out of it. How are you thinking about whether to incorporate chatbots into the messaging experience? Yeah, it's an excellent point. I will say it is a requirement that you have an automation or a chatbot strategy if you're going to be a business of any size operating on WhatsApp, Instagram Direct, Messenger, Apple Business Chat. Because the benefit of doing that for a business is that the unit of interaction is just more efficient when machines can answer some percentage of the inquiries or even know when to reach out to a customer than trying to do that with people. So it's a requirement. You're right. I think we had like chapter one of chatbots maybe five or six years ago where that promise was clear, like you could envision it, but the implementation didn't match the promise. And I think what has changed or evolved from there to where we are now is two things. One is the automation has gotten better. The models have gotten better. The training data sets have gotten larger. The experience of a bot for United Airlines 
five years ago was probably nowhere near what it is today, just because automation has gotten better. And the other thing is, you know, it's an iterative experience. You learn what are the things that we have high confidence a machine can handle. And for the things that it can't, let's make sure that the transition to a human agent is a good one. And so those are the two things that you've got to consider as a business when you're thinking of getting on any form of messaging with your customers, but you have to start with a strategy that includes automation. Right. That makes sense. And I'm excited for a future where businesses are able to incorporate automation and deliver a superior customer experience. Maybe taking a step back from the present and projecting into the future, 10 years into the future, how do you think businesses will operate? Maybe tell us what that experience could look like. And what do you think will be Meta's role in realizing that future? Well, that's a pretty big question. Let me see. I think there's this cycle of technology, particularly software, just making existing large industries more efficient. When I read the Andreessen statement that software is eating the world, that's what it means to me is you're taking a process and a large market and you are just making it significantly more efficient through software than before software. And I think the next wave of that, not to be too fast on the hype train, is AI and automation. What does that really lead to? What it leads to is a whole bunch of human time and attention that can be spent on the next wave of innovation. So I think it's this cycle of efficiency gains from the technology we have today that then get invested in innovation for tomorrow. And I would hope that a role Meta can play in that is around our core business of just making the experience of receiving marketing from a brand you either know or don't know just so much better for you as an individual. And by doing that, making the ROI of that investment much higher for the business so that the business and Meta can both invest the relative gains of that improvement in new technologies. I love that. I love that combination of efficiency actually unleashing human creativity and spurring further innovation down the road. I'm so excited for that future to come. Maybe switching gears a little bit, we'd also just love to get your thoughts and insights on career advice. You have an incredibly successful career. What's your secret sauce? (laughs) Let's see. Well, for anyone listening to a podcast at Wharton, I would say you have a pretty heavy measure of something that is in short supply, which is exceptional talent. Yeah, there's just no replacement for that. And so I think knowing what that is for you as an individual is a really important part of the early stage of your career. You know, you have to start with something you're good at, uh, to put it in really simple terms. And then I think the next ingredient really is just the passion to work hard at something. These problems aren't easy to solve. Otherwise, they wouldn't be worth solving or put another way, you know, worth a lot to the world if they are solved. And so that takes the combination of really exceptional talent in an area and the passion and the drive and the persistence to just pursue it. So those are the things that have I have leaned on over my career. And it also timing helps. But those two things are things that have always worked for me. That's incredible advice. And maybe sort of Honing in specifically on the technology space, many of our listeners are either students or professionals who are in this space. If you were to give one piece of advice to our listeners who are in this space or who want to be in the technology space, what would it be? 
Yeah. So a couple of thoughts on that. Number one is back to your first question about my career journey, get to where things are happening, right? Get to the companies, the thought leaders, the investors, the parts of the world where the technology that you really want to have a career in is being invented. And then in terms of how to get into those fields, be willing to bet on yourself. And that can take many, many shapes. For me, that meant leaving Yahoo with a really large team and a really large PNL and a really big title to go be an individual contributor at Facebook early on and you know create spreadsheets again. So I did that because I knew that I just needed to get there and that I would bet on my abilities and my passion for the area I wanted to work on at Facebook and build a long career. And so I would definitely give that advice, which is get to the spot where you really want to be and then bet on yourself. I have another peer from WhatsApp and Facebook. We worked alongside each other for a very long time. She just took a role as the chief product officer at FAIR. If you all aren't familiar with that company, it's a great company. And she showed up at Facebook even before I did and took a contractor role, I think in like PR or something like that, after having been a product manager at Microsoft. So there are many, many stories like that in technology where those two things are the steps that have worked for people. You know, bet on yourself, bet on the future, and make sure you're getting yourself to as close to ground zero on the thing you want to do as possible. Yeah, I think that's such good advice. And it's kind of like sometimes might appear a step backwards to the outside, but it's actually a step forward in the long run if you know where you're headed and you're passionate about what you're working on. We now move to a fun Q&A section, if you're ready for it. Sounds good. We'd love to ask you a couple of rapid fire style questions. Sure. So to start, if you can only keep one app on your phone and use that for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, man, that's a good one. I really want to say WhatsApp, but I'd be lying. So it's the Google app, the Gmail app. The Gmail app. Okay. Not like the phone app where you have to call someone? No. Do Who still calls each other? It's fair. <laughs> Perfect theme for this episode. What is your favorite word in memory? So I'd love to say, you know, it was some great night out with classmates in Philly, and we did have a couple of those. But if I'm being honest, my first lecture with Michael Usim was my best memory. I think that was the most impactful and eye-opening class for me. And I just really thought he did a great job delivering not that, not just that first, that first lecture, but the entire course. Awesome. What is the greatest lesson you've learned in your career? It's the stuff we just talked about. I think for me, it's bet on yourself. If I had to just pick one, it would be that. Like, don't be afraid to take risks, have confidence in your ability and and really pursue the things that you want to see happen in the world. What's a recent book you read that you recommend? I'm a big Aimer Tolls fan. I don't know if you all know him. His first book was uh, Gentleman in Moscow, which is one of my all-time favorites. And he recently put out The Lincoln Highway. So if you need a an escape from classes or your internship or looking for a job and you're tired of watching shows, it's a great book. Yeah, I'm a major awesome. Immortals fan as well. I think that the third, the other book he's written, Rules of Civility, is also pretty awesome. So highly recommend that too. It was good. Underrated. I agree. And final question for you. If you had the world's attention for five minutes, what would you say? I would find five minutes 
to very eloquently and convincingly say that we have got to do a better job solving problems together. We are way too polarized and passionate about defending a certain point of view. And there are really big problems that are going to matter in the future that we have not found solutions to, but we can. I love that. Solving problems together. Very cool. Well, thank you for your insights and everything you've shared with us on this episode. You know, like you said, I think many of us are thinking about what the future holds and how do we best position ourselves for a successful career like you have had in technology. And I think hopefully listeners will take away the key message of betting on ourselves and really thinking about where the future is going and sort of live in that future. So we really appreciate you joining the podcast and sharing your insights with us. It was an absolute pleasure and I hope you had fun as well. I did. Great meeting you both. And thanks for having me. Thank you for your time.